Hello and welcome to episode one of the Hinted Neuron Podcast. Today we'll be talking about dreams, perception and reality. Have you ever wondered if all you perceive from the world around you is real? Or is it a perceptual copy of a world generated by neural processes in your brain? Do you truly perceive objective reality? Or what you see, feel and perceive is a projection of your internal model of the world? Joining me in this conversation today is Babalala Tayo. Let's talk about perception. Yeah. What is perception? Okay. Perception is... Perception is perception. That the lens through which we choose to see the world and make judgments. So, uh, this is a, a projection of human consciousness and it becomes this thick lens that separates the individual from his reality, like as a passive um, or a mechanism against what he should have lived in reality. So, um, perception in general is like a shield in a cover, it allows you to see through, but it doesn't allow you to see through. So what you're saying is we live our lives and don't mostly experience objective reality. That we go about our lives having this subjective view of the world. Having this mental projection of what we feel is objective reality. But it's really just our own mental projection of the world. Of course. Uh, May I use an example? Okay. Uh, Let's talk about colors. Yeah. Yeah, these colors are... When you see a tomato, you see them as red and yellow. Sure. You see the banners, they come in red and blue colors from yellow. Okay? Yeah. What if this tomato is considered to be blue and the banana is considered to be orange? Yeah. Of course, people, people will dispute the fact that, like, are you blind? Can't you, can't you see? Yet. Yes. But let me bring from a scientific point of view. Okay, humans. As we are, we are only modeled, or we only have this ability to perceive color in a small part of the electromagnetic spectrum. That's the visible part. Exactly. Okay. And objects, they reflect from the ultraviolet. If we can only perceive the visible parts of it, we see these colors. We have a broad spectrum. We have this broad spectrum of it. Yes. If you can only pass the middle part, okay, can't I dispute that? There are more colors that are not visible to our eyes. Only what? Now, we cannot see colors and we No, we cannot say that. But we can say that what we perceive is real. Perception, reality. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. What we perceive is real. Okay, go on. It's interesting that you say that because from the definition of color, can we say that if because we know that um, you have to see color. It's like something being reflected that you can see. It's just norm- just reflected light. That's all color is, reflected light, right? So Of course, of course. If yeah. you can't see it anymore, is it still valid as a color? Can you still say this is a color if I can't see it anymore? That's very interesting. No, it's not that question. Uh, you know, uh, in, um, in the summer time, yeah. the, in the evening, sure. like the red region of lights, Yes. Why in the moon brought the light? Well, the beam. Okay. <clears throat> if you take a piece of paper outside, there's a constant color that you see, white. Okay? Yeah. Now, this property of 
like can I say, the color of that paper does not change even with the different lights that we see. Yes. That all that that's combine all colors in the rainbow. Exactly. Exactly. As red, orange, yellow, blue, blue. Sure. What do we form? We pass them through <coughs> a prism. We form white color. Sure. And if we mix some combination of colors, not necessarily the seven colors, we get white also. Yes. Now, we as humans, we can only see them as white. Okay? Exactly. So there are some yeah. species, let me say, like, like the shrimp. Can, they can, the shrimp can see 19 different, um, let me see, I don't know what to call it. Now, we have trichromats, we have tetrachromats. We can see four primary colors on three. Now, the, the shrimp can see 19. Yeah. Variations. If it can see, it doesn't mean it's colorless. It means what we perceive, what we perceive is colors. The object is its property, as a property of as like white paper. Yes. It's a property of the object. Yes. But if we can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Okay. So, I, it's interesting that you say because I, I, I saw something from Galileo a certain time because in, you know, Galileo is one of the founding fathers of um, the natural sciences. And he was a foremost philosopher. And he said, if you take a lemon, the only thing that's objective to that lemon is, is shape, is motion, and then two other qualities. But when we now talk about its color and its taste, that those ones are from the soul, that the yellowness of a lemon is gotten from the person, or the sourness of that lemon is gotten from the person, that that is not part of the physical properties of that lemon. What do you think of that? Well, if I get you, say the taste, the sourness. Yes. Those are just properties from the person, not okay. from objective lemon. The physicality of that lemon. Subjective to, yeah, subjective to our own perception. Yes. Uh, like I said before, um, the lemon has this property that you can only take in. I mean, use that phrase, take in. But what we perceive, perceive the color, smell, taste of it. Sure. Okay. And, and this taste, I think, is like empirical knowledge. What we see, what we touch, what we feel, is empirical knowledge that forms when we perceive these things. So, this empirical knowledge that we get, that we got from this milk, from this lemon, has helped us to give some attributes to it, for us to recognize it, to name it. Now, the different species come from outer space and with different uh, taste buds, with different. Um, um, sensitivity of the eye, the different, the nuclear mind mechanism, let's come and perceive the lemon as red, the taste of their sugar. The, if we get out it's not what you think. This is what it has been proven by science. Yeah. But we designed it. We designed the machines to see it as this color. We designed the machines as this taste. As machines are programmed, as our minds have been programmed, it's a model that we always follow. When yeah. it's born, it doesn't see color yellow as yellow. Is what it tells the child, what it learns through school and learns, and it gets to apply to the world. That was well put. Thank you. Um, 
You see, when we talk about reality, you know, there are, there are two schools of thought on reality. We have this um, naive and direct realism and indirect realism. So the school of thought on direct realism, they, they say that what we see around us, that what we see around us is gotten from our sense organs, that what the kind of reality that we perceive is direct. Yeah, you see a candle and that's what you see that's what you perceive that there's no there's like there's no middleman separating you from reality that what you see from or perceive from your sense organs your skin your mouth your, your skin your tongue those sense organs that's what you are actually getting but the school of indirect realism so that we do not perceive the world in the way it is but only our idea and representation of the world so where do you stand on this view? Um, I think um, in the first naive, saying that we don't we perceive it, what we perceive, right? Yeah. And the second school of thought is indirect. Like we interpret it the way it is. Yeah. We can jump to its conclusion and say one school of thought is right and one school of thought is wrong. Yes. If we have to say that we are putting science in a dangerous spot, sure. So, um, yeah, take for example solids. Yeah, I like to use science solids. Now, if you look at your phone, phone, can you call it solid? Yeah, any, any person call it solid. Sure, but when you go to the quantum world, the volume of space that phone has is nothing compared to the spaces between the subatomic particles, the look of the phone. Sure, so. If we are seeing solids are dense, closely packed um, substances, then our definition of solid doesn't apply in the subatomic world. But if we are seeing solid as something that is impermeable, something that is strong, then it does apply. So um, now we can't say that this, this is wrong and this is right. You can't call your phone a liquid now because your phone is impermeable. But in a different conversation, Subatomic particles, they are not really parts, but even the spaces between them, you can compare it with the volume of space the solid has occupied. No, subatomic particles have occupied, like, the space between them is so much that it's incomprehensible. But, and that is very, very rare. That's, that's amazing. That's very, very, that's so much, like, very amazing. Even for you to wrap it around it, something that you, you give kudos to. So when you compare that with the naive school of thought and the other uh, school of thought, you begin to see some variations, but yet some similarities as the paradox. In what we perceive, we call it a reality. And this concept of dream, first of all, let me ask, why do we dream? <laughs> Don't even talk about dreams now. Uh, I have to go through religion because um, someone might say, "Don't give me this dream. What will happen in the future?" Yes. But why do we dream? I think our dreams are just interpretations of our consciousness. I think that is the Sigma Freud, um, yeah. Sigma Freud definition. Because I think he set the blueprint yeah. of. I think he was one of the early thinkers in this field, and he set the blueprint of what of it should be. But uh, yeah. because so for me, I feel, I feel like dreams because most times when you have dreams you have um is it could occur in two parts it could be a reliving of your waking life most of the events and 
activities that happen in your waking life, they replay or reshape themselves in your dream. Or this could be de novo experiences, like new experiences that you've never seen or imagined before and sometimes scary ones. But where do you think this is coming from? Because now we we can just say that these are just um, neurons firing in our brain. But, but but I like to I like to I like to rest on that very Aristotle idea. He says that our ideas are alive, that they have a life. Okay. Yeah, they come from somewhere. They have an origin. Yeah. Is so are dreams like a byproduct of consciousness? I think I think that dreams are like you said like you said earlier, our past experiences, what we have lived and uh, uh um I think dreams come from our perceptions. So, as perceptions are translated through behaviors, they arise to keep the mind safe from experiencing memory, from experiencing fear, and other agonizing things like art, heartbreak, and everything. That may be a, a, a very devastating incident that occurred. And one thing that all this leads to is pain. Pain is what we don't want to experience. So, when it happens, in this part of the human mind, the unconscious part, the act to prevent us from seeing the reality of that pain. So instead, it takes it deep to a dark place, a dark dungeon of our mind. So we forget that maybe forget is in quotes that you ever happened. When you sleep, the body is in a banishment, very relaxed. When you're very relaxed, you get so easy, capture you think about what happened, what might have happened. So it, um, it happens that as you go, as the body relaxes, Go in a state of drowsiness. So these dreams, like I said, come from our perceptions. And this pain that we experience, and pain is a, a pointed, pain is like a, a pointed or a, a pointer that the let me say the universe gives us to help us grow mentally and spiritually, yet to achieve balance. So when we dream, the emotions we would have experienced awake, conscious, we would express in our dream. Like when people dream, you see people um you see people define the physical laws of nature. They can fly, they fight wars in their dreams, like new wars in their dreams. So this is just like a balance, to strike a balance. I think so. Or if we're going to, if we're to go into the other part of it, that's the religion <laughs> I think we will divert. Again, to the philosophical view of religion and dreams and everything. So, so um, I, 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 I like the fact that you pointed out that this could be that it's a kind of way to escape. And I think because I've I've said it before, I that maybe we humans evolve to hate reality that we hate reality so much we always want to escape it that was even when you think of present the the postmodern idea of tv social media and so it's like that's why i said we might be living in a simulation but it's a kind of different one we put ourselves in another kind of simulation but this time is not just being immersed in something but what we put ourselves in, like the TV, the TV, the media, and social media, 
because that is of reality. So we've taken ourselves to another form of life as in no way like reality. We are trying to escape. That's why, I mean, look at um, Ready Player One and the events of the movie. It means from where we are headed, we are headed to towards a place where a kind of world would have to be created of reality. I think that would be the real simulation because now we are just starting. And it's very interesting when you think of it, like a simulacra. These ideas are from John Bullerad. So why do we sleep? Sleep. I think sleep came from evolution. Like, I think it's an article I read. We evolved to sleep. Yeah, to sleep. And then, um, I'm not a sleep is very important. Like, yeah, I like to sleep. I like to sleep. Okay. So, there's some biological or physiological activities that go on when you sleep. Your body heals. So, um, I think sleep itself, it's kind of a healing process for the human body. And according to evolution, um, we sleep because We need to prevent ourselves or protect ourselves. So when we sleep, we are safe. As I think I'll put it that way. We sleep. Think of sleep. Safety. Safety. But, but you would recall that if we talk about it not only in humans, but mm-hmm. in general, living things, animals. Now, sleeping leaves you without the ability to hunt for food, to gather food, yes. leaves you vulnerable. Yeah. Would you say we sleep for safety? Yeah, uh, uh, I think that point is still is a, is a broad point. Because um, when we sleep, um, as much as we stay awake, there's some resources in your body that gets depleted. So when we sleep, we eat. Okay. Um, and most times, for most people, when they sleep, they wake up sharper and um, boosted. But in the period of sleep, um, I wouldn't say we are vulnerable. So going back to dreams a little bit, okay. because um, because um, from what I know. There are two phases of sleep, the REM sleep and the NREM sleep. That's called the rapid eye movement sleep and the non-rapid eye movement sleep. So, and it's been known that we dream during the REM phase of sleep. And on average, we dream three to five times per night. For some people, that number is up to seven. And and most of these dreams are immediately forgotten as they happen. For something that might be necessary, maybe according to religion or spirituality, yeah. yes. something that you usually just forget, then it may be, may, maybe nature 
doesn't want you to know most of these things. But but then there are some then there are some kind of reasons why we dream, you know, to reveal hidden desires and emotions. Like that's part of it, obviously, for memory and problem solving. And maybe it could just be random brain activations. So I I I even wanted to dwell on this ability to solve problems because of dreams and sleep. I think that will bring me to lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming is this kind of dream whereby you are aware that you are dreaming and you can be able to alter the narrative or the characters of the dream. And the thing is, for something like that, about 90% of the population don't lucid dream. But though I experience lucid dreaming, it means most times I can I can change what I want in my dream. I is most of this kind of early morning dream where you know you are awake already. Is you are not. It's like a state of being partially awake and partially sleeping, and then you are conscious that you are dreaming at that point. You can insert what you want inside your dream and. Most of my lucid dreams are mainly they are mainly to fulfill my own kind of desires that I'm facing at that moment, or me trying to solve an active math problem, or or like as a software engineer or a math problem. For me, it could be both. I'm seeing something. I'm seeing the narrative of that problem in the dream. So the dream is playing. So I can also add my own expertise to that dream to be able to come to a very good solution of what i want inside that dream and i find it very interesting and strange at the same time now let's talk about this concept of false awakening false awakening though i have it's not something i've experienced for a lot of times in my own personal life false awakening is this phenomenon where you dream that you are still asleep, but then you dream that you are you you wake up, start your day, go about your personal life, and then you now wake up to find out that that was actually a dream. Now, the funny thing about false awakening is it could happen in so many layers. I mean, you can have false awakening upon false awakening inside the same dream that you complete your whole day. You wake up, you go about your whole day, you sleep inside your dream, and then you wake up again. So you, you experience that process of waking up so many times that when you now finally wake up and see yourself that, and see that you've had the real one, you become surprised. Now, now I, I don't really know the technicalities of this. I, I'm not in any way experienced doing this, but I find it really amazing and nice to talk about. I think you've seen this movie, uh, Yes. During my own research, I saw that there are four areas of the brain are active during dream. That's the visual, the area that enables complex visual perception, the motor cortex, the hippocampus, and the amygdala, and the singlet cortex. So, and from the auto perspective, from the research, they said, you know, you can be able to tell what the person is actually dreaming about just by the areas of the brain that are active at that particular point. You know, the motor cortex is the part for motion and motion activities that you could be able to to tell if there there are, there are motion activities in that brain and you can be able to tell how emotional due to how the hippocampus and the amygdala are lighting up 
during this process? Well, let me ask a question. Um, can humans, as much as we, as we want to control, because I think that's our ultimate aim, to control everything. That's why we study the wild animals, they're being built. But as much as we want control, can can humans attain this higher level of consciousness? Can we, can we master it? No, I and mean, the world is dynamic, it's ever changing. Can, but can we master yeah. this consciousness and to be conscious to every aspect of it? I don't mean just this dimension. If you've already process of evolution, the way we are, not the way we are, we grow like 400,000 years ago, we evolved. But can we master this high level of consciousness and relate emotions to reality and perception? So I believe and know because it's a scientific fact that our prefrontal cortex is is more like a calming mechanism for us. It means it keeps us sane. So a lot of the activities of the prefrontal cortex is to suppress most of what we perceive. It means it's actively trying to filter. So it's acting as a predict and filter too. It means it's trying to keep us safe because if we knew so much or could perceive so much, it would be deadly for us. So it acts as this filter trying to always calm us down. That was like because when David Cunningham was talking about system one and system two, that's the system one yeah. of the brain. Yeah. Always trying to put things in control, to put things in perspective sure. that we're able to understand. Yeah. Because yeah. if if it is too much, if the sensory data is too much, then that will be harmful yeah. for us as human beings. So this prefrontal context keeps us sane. So if we want to unlock so kind of a higher level, it means then because most most people say that's madness. That's why most times when you ask, some of your brain parts are not in control at that point. That's why you can go higher levels of imagination inside your dream because there is no filter. There's no logical filter. You get and. You can transcend some kind of massive imagination and go very far in whatever you're thinking while you dream. That's why dreams are very weird. There's no logical filter. So I feel like then you'll be talking about madness if we say we want to transcend most of who we are now. So I think that's... I don't know if that answers. So, in application to perception and reality, according to what you said, the brain is trying to filter what we perceive, what we see. And um, if we were to take care of this information inside, it would be unfit to us. So, can you say the brain? It's trying to shield us from reality. In, I think, I think that implies the same thing because it means 
much of reality will be harmful to us. And and that, that still verifies what I said when I said we evolved to hate reality. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that verifies my earlier assumption. This is my assumption. This is just me talking that we evolved to hate reality. Really and reality. too much of reality is bad for some of us because we can't handle it. That's why we seek shelter in the false reality or kind of simulations that we've created for ourselves. So I think that's why I because that's why I feel I wrote an article about this one time though though I've not shared it. It's about drugs and their effect. Now these are just chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. The same way I I have a discomfort and I feel a certain chemical can help me ease it. Maybe I have an headache. I'll take paracetamol. Now, I'm in a place I don't want to be and I want to transcend or escape or mask. You know, there are three different things. You could either transcend it. That's pain for you. You could either transcend it, mask it, or escape it. You, there's a chemical for that. No, it could be any kind of psychedelic. It unlocks something for you, a new kind of reality that your brain, the prefrontal cortex, is trying to filter for you. Now, you get to that place and you feel good at that instance. Now, I wouldn't say that's bad because to me, I, I it's not, it's not that I sin against God, no man, because it's just chemical. And then you reach this uh, certain place. Yeah, this is, this is a very, very controversial issue. I mean, <laughs> that's one of the reasons we are having these discussions in the first place. Yeah, and, yeah, of course. and, for me, I don't see anything bad to be able to transcend distance. Now, take alcohol and tobacco. They are legal in so many countries. They have destroyed lives and souls. Now, LSD and some other psychedelics have almost very little chance that could that it could lead to addiction or any other kind of side massive side effect but yet they are illegal why is this though i would not know and i cannot tell why but i feel like from the original question it wouldn't be bad for a person who wants to escape or grow past this filter that nature has set for them to at least jump past that kind of filter mechanism if they want if it can make them feel okay then it's fine to me if it's okay for them then it's okay because there are a lot of ethical concerns about this but to me if it's good if the if the second and third of that consequence of taking that psychedelic is good for the individual then i think it should be allowed you should be allowed to escape. Oh, very well said. It's um, really interesting, of course, <laughs> because um, I'm looking to your reactions. <laughs> um, 
as interesting as that, as that sounds. Okay, uh, let me grow up. Yeah. Can we really escape reality? And that's, that's a question. We can't, because I think science uh, now, if you could use drugs to escape reality, then that is no longer a question. You can actually escape reality with yes. chemicals, just yeah. with chemicals, because what we what we understand as the reality we are framing is just reactions happening. It's just neurons sparking in our brain. If we can alter the hormones or enzymes that are causing some of these reactions, then we've changed something. We've fine-tuned or ugly-tuned something. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> So, fine-tuning it, do you think that being perceptions of it, when you fine-tune something, you know what's real, but still fine-tune it? Yes, I, that's, so that's why I said, these things will still come, and there will still be a little fine-tuning of reality in, towards the future, because that's where the future is headed. This is like a postmodern idea of it, because... We don't like reality. We evolved to hate it, to find something else that is better for us. Than reality. Yes. That's, that's yeah. really perspective. If we eat reality. Yeah. That means <clears throat> human consciousness. Human consciousness wants to always go into the state where it can control at the same time, we are conscious. We when we are conscious, we are totally in control. Now, according to Daniel Kemal, system minus system two. One system that is dynamic, it responds fast. The other system comes down, looks at the situation holistically, and dissects it. Where the other system is response to it through instincts as we evolve what we perceive, what we believe, progresses, changes from time to time. Like I said, we want to control. As we want to control, we still want to be unconscious to reality. So, how can we control if we are conscious? Um, I think. Whether you like it or not, because if for us to be able to change what we perceive by maybe escaping it, by putting ourselves in this kind of simulations or by using the drug, we have been able to control it. And we're able to still perceive in that sense. But we are perceiving a different thing than if it were just a natural kind of perception, unaltered, no kind of false simulation, or by the use of chemicals. So I think in, because right now I still feel like we are in control. You can gain control, because if, no, even if you are not in control, you can gain control. But the problem now lies in devices you use to give yourself that kind of control. It means... Those things are now the control master. 
because you feel you're in control. You invited things to help you escape. But now those things are the ones in control. Now look at, for example, social media and you are no longer in control. Understand? Something is pushing your strings. You feel because you can't get off that app. You keep, why, why do I need to keep scrolling? Is a constant question. Why do I need to keep scrolling? So you put yourself in a simulation thinking you are in control of your own actions. But in turn, that simulation or that chemical is the stuff that controls you. It takes a mind of its own. I think this is a very nice place to stop today. So it's nice having this conversation with you. Yeah. So please, if you like this conversation, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to. Please leave a review. This is our first episode. We would like to know how we did. Thank you and look forward to the next episode of the Inter Neuron Podcast.